Uh, this is Mrs. Owens with the Association for a Better Malibu. Thanks for your contributions. We made great strides, but it would help, dear, if you could move your trailer. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we explore the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. <laughs> and I'm Nathan Poletta. There we go. <laughs> we have done, what, 52 shows now? Mm. One for every card in the deck? You, you'd think we'd figure this out by now. We are. <laughs> <laughs> but we are here, uh, back with you to talk about another, another fantastic episode of The Rockford Files. Uh, Epi... I gave you the charge this time, as our last couple episodes have all been kind of driven yeah. by a choice uh, I made. So what did you select for us to talk about? Uh, I chose The Paper Palace, which is episode 16 of season four. And the first one uh, featuring Rita, well, of the Rita Moreno, the actress playing mm-hmm. Rita Kapkovich. Kapkovich. I didn't pay close enough attention while watching the show to try to memorize how the name was pronounced. Or Kapovich. This is a reoccurring character. I mm-hmm. think she's in three episodes. I don't believe we've done any of them yet. Nope. This is the first that we've done of the Rita character. She's in three episodes of the show, and then she also has an appearance in one of the movies that we have yet to get to. Well, it's good that we, we've, we've hit and we're hitting uh, this now. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I was just thinking, because there are several characters who do reoccur. Uh, we've done a few already. We... Um, Gandhi and uh, Lance White mm-hmm. are both characters that have been in more than one episode, but not fully reoccurring characters. But there are, I think, two or three more out there. We haven't done the uh, the originating episode for uh, the Gabby character, Marcus Hayes, uh, the Lou Gossett Jr. Um, recurring character. Uh, there's the uh, uh, Richie Brockelman, who comes up in later in the series that we haven't uh, seen yet. Um, and I think we, we had one episode that had the disbarred attorney. Oh, oh. The, like, former, the disbarred attorney that ends up being uh, Jim's, like, legal contact after after uh, uh, Beth is gone. Oh, yeah, I guess. Did we, did we do one with him? He was in one. Or not yet. But not as a folk, like. Okay. We mentioned him. Yeah, um, he was just kind of like, yeah. Coop, uh, John Cooper. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there are these these recurring characters. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he doesn't he's, he doesn't show up till later in the series. Um, uh, but, but definitely ranking in the top, at the top of the list, would be Rita. Yeah. Both Rita Moreno and Rita uh, Kapovich. And I was super happy because we just finished um, watching the third season, the most recent season of... Um, one day at a time, uh, which is fun. And I, I, I really enjoy that updated version one on Netflix. Uh, but uh, on this weird uh, wiki hole <laughs> that we went down here, it just discovered that Richie Brockelman, Private Eye, is a five-episode detective series that aired on NBC in 1978. Yeah. yeah, it was spun out from Rockford Files. It did not do well. No, no it did not. <laughs> I think he's originated in a two-parter that is one of my favorites, but I think that character yeah. is not particularly interesting in the long term. But that's a different episode. Yes, let's okay. We'll get let's let's do this one first before <laughs> we start dreaming of who knows how long this podcast will go. Uh-huh. If we do enough episodes, we'll get to it. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> so, Paper Palace. Uh, this one was uh, written by Juanita Bartlett. And, and, and I feel like that's pretty significant, both 
because as we've done these, we've kind of noted, I think, that a lot of the Bartlett scripts are both um, trend a little closer towards like actual real life issues in characters' lives. Yeah. And also tend to have more uh, rounded out female characters. Yeah. And I think this episode, I wouldn't classify it as a social issue episode, actually. Um, I don't no. think it's really about the uh, the big issue, but it does have one of the more compelling female characters in Rita in like a very like three dimensional sense. Yeah. That, and the issues that surround, uh, so her, I don't know if we're technically beating around the bush here, but I'll just say like her character is a prostitute. And, uh, this is, uh, how society treats sex workers is fundamental to how the action of this episode goes and like where she's able to find the resources Mm -hmm. to help her and where she's not. And, uh, yeah, the, the social positioning of being a sex worker in a bunch of these different social contexts is what makes the show, right. Is like what drives this episode in terms of like compelling character work. And then we get into the mystery plot, which is, it's not uh, immaterial, but it's kind of uh, uh, it's not a David Chase mystery, right? Like it's not like right, yeah, full of twists and turns. It's it's more the motivating plot through which we see all these characters uh, interact, uh, and it is fun to watch these characters interact. Oh yeah, uh, I'm going to say that from the get go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some scenes in here that I think are definitely on the list of just watch it for sure. Maybe we'll get a little more into. Uh, I mean, I don't think we need to drop a biography of Rita Moreno up at the top. Uh, you know, what do you say? She's <laughs> an iconic yeah. <laughs> figure. She's like one of the few people who's who's gotten the EGOT, as they say. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. So swept the board of awards. And while this was not her first Emmy, uh, it was in fact her second because she won one for an appearance on The Muppet Show But prior to this. Oh. She did receive an Emmy for for Outstanding Guest Actress for this episode. Nice. Well, I know how to pick them. <laughs> Good job. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this show won lots of Emmys uh, for various people, but it was, you know, it's in terms of watching compelling, dramatic character work, this one is one to watch. So there's some more stuff about her and her relationship to the show that maybe we'll go into as we go, but let's uh, get into the action. Um, Jump in. Yeah, this, this one's directed by Richard Crenna, who is probably would probably be better known as an actor uh, than a director. The only stuff that I particularly recognize him from is that he was uh, in the Rambo movies, um, which I haven't actually seen because I don't really like those movies. Uh, which is, I guess, a tautology. I have not seen because I oh, don't oh. think I'd really like them. But uh, he's uh, Troutman, Colonel Troutman. Uh, but he he directed some like uh, some TV and and uh, uh, TV movies um, for the most part. Uh, this is his only uh, Rockford Files appearance as a director or an actor. So one-off directorial appearance. Um, but I think our preview montage gives us a strong a strong sense of what to expect when we get into this episode. Yeah, actually, so this is the thing. I thought this is kind of interesting about this preview montage. Uh, like, I, there's a little bit about the action. Like, there's a little bit about um, uh, a car going fast, I think, at some point. We see a J-turn. Yeah, but for the most part, it's 
it's centered around letting us know that uh, Rita is uh, a sex worker, how people are going to react to that, and uh, how it's like kind of important for us to not think of her that way. Like it, it really <laughs> sets us up to just follow the whole like this main character is a sex worker. You probably have these these prejudices about sex workers, and uh, we're going to you know. Uh, not, not necessarily shame on you for doing that, but like treat her as a human being here. This is a day we are going to, because other people are like, oh, you're a hooker. That is all yeah. she is. Uh, very specifically, we're seeing the pushback against being uh, uh, minimized to that identity. And that's like in the preview montage. Well, from my point of view, like it just did, did this great job of just saying, you're going to see this and we agree with you. This is a horrible way to treat a person. Mm -hmm. Let's get this out of the way. That's kind of the point. There you go. Mm -hmm. uh, or it might, if you, if you come at it from another point of view, if you're just like, well, I don't know. I don't know what the other point of view is, but <laughs> just like, I don't, okay, I shouldn't characterize how well of a job it does. I should just say it, at least it makes this attempt to, to just present who she is, how society is go going to view her and how we being the writers and the audiences in Jim treat her mm. uh, it, as, as an actual human being. Mm. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that that was, it, it actually fits in one of, as one of my, you know, if I, if I were to start rating preview montages because <laughs> of what it does, and I think it's so interesting to have used the preview montage to do this, mm -hmm. I would definitely put it in my top 10 of like, Hey, pay attention to this one. See what it does. Uh, mm -hmm. See if this is an interesting technique or not. The the uh, the hook for the channel flipper is less. Here's the action of the episode that you can look forward to. Though there is like right. the J turn and the like. They're after me. They're trying to kill me. Right. So we yeah, know yeah. there's some stakes kind of given to us. But it's also like here's an examination of this uh, trope. Yeah. Are you in? Right. Like. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to see it? <laughs> that's what we're doing. Otherwise, you know, you you've got the remote control or. The dial is right there. You just have to walk <laughs> across the room and turn it. Thanks for listening to 200 a Day. In case you've just joined us, we have a new podcast, Plus Expenses, a show where we talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. Plus Expenses is an exclusive bonus for our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a Day. This show will remain free to all for as long as we do it. But if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just $1 an episode. Of course, each episode we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe-level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him, at JimLikesGames on Twitter. Shane Liebling. If you play games online, you should check out his free dice-rolling app Roll for Your Party at RollForYour.Party. Kevin Lovecraft. You know you can hear him on the RPG Actual Play podcast, the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, over at misdirectedmark.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, Dave P., and Dale Church. And finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and our detective patrons that you can follow on Twitter. Eric Antoner, at Antoner, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, and of course, Richard Haddam, who you can find at Richard Haddam. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it. And check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. So we start our episode with Rita. And, and so there's a bit of a, 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 it's not even really a gag, but there's a bit of a bit 
um, about people not being able to pronounce her last name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I fell right into. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's uh, uh, Kapovich. 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 So Rita Kapovich. Uh, so we start off with uh, Rita being booked. She's been, you know, picked up by the cops. For being a poet. For being a poet. Well, not for being a poet. <laughs> yeah. She's So our, our initial montage is showing all the things like taking our personal effects and yeah. fingerprinting. And then we get her, you know, guest star Rita Moreno credit over her headshot. Yeah, that was great. I say headshot because it doesn't look like a mugshot. It looks right. like a like a headshot from for like an actor's, you know, yeah. uh, resume. <laughs> Uh, and I think that's actually a significant choice. It's not a yeah. blown out against the prison wall mugshot. Right. Also, I'm sure part of that is like, it's Rita Moreno. What are we going to yeah. do? But um, I'm I'm reading a lot of intention into the choices in this episode. And I think yeah. it matches uh, with the tone of, of what we're going to get into. Um, so this whole montage kind of has her going in and then has her coming out as uh, our good friend Dennis Becker comes down to uh, spring her from from jail the desk, desk sergeant, the guy at the desk, uh, yeah. called Becker because he knows that Becker and Rita are friends. And as he says, she wasn't doing too much good in the slammer. Um, yes. As she comes out, she's annoyed, understandably. But we kind of see we see both a little bit of familiarity. Uh, they do have backstory and we learn a little bit more of it over the course of the scene. But also she's annoyed i think as anyone yeah. would be not particularly because she was arrested but because she was arrested for something that does not that she she wasn't doing right and we don't really go into the details but her she says that uh a couple times that she was arrested for for being on a certain street and she's like i wasn't doing anything there right like yeah. she was not out like trying to pick up people or whatever she was arrested for um we get the line here where the, so the guy at the desk is like, get a load of what you put down for occupation, poet. <laughs> uh, and then, so she starts a dirty limerick. There once was a man from Nantucket. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually, in my notes, the play-by-play the -play as I'm watching this is that uh, during that opening sequence, they, they type in poet. On, mm -hmm. on her rap sheet or whatever, like uh, under occupation. And I rewound and watched that three times mm -hmm. and then wrote poet. And then, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we get this gag here. And I, I like, I thought at first it was just going to be like a visual gag and that mm -hmm. they were just going to let that go or whatever. Um, but yeah. Becker, uh, you know, offers her a cup of coffee and wants to kind of. So Dennis, it definitely appears that Dennis legitimately likes her as a human being. Mm -hmm. It's also pretty obvious that their connection is that she has uh, been an informant for him mm -hmm. at some point. Uh, but he's also, it's also clear that everyone on the force at least implies that there's something else to their relationship. Mm -hmm. That he's sleeping with her or something. Because he just right. constantly says or repeats... You know, we're just friends. We're friends, you know. Uh, and then, like, rightfully, she's like, I, I might be jumping way ahead in this. No, no, go I can't ahead. remember how it all folds out. But rightfully, she's like, hey, you're not treating me like a friend. You're, you know, he's ushering her into a private space and trying to keep her from, uh, like, being seen publicly with her. Mm -hmm. Whether that's to protect her or him, it's not evident, but it, it certainly seems to protect his reputation more than to to protect hers. And he also is, and she calls this out, he's acting like he wants to help her 
but that's to make himself feel good about helping someone who needs help, not right. necessarily to actually make her feel better. He gets a little offended at that, but I mean, I feel like that's a dynamic that like we've lived through, right? Yeah. Like on one yeah. end or the other or both. They can both be right. Yeah. But he wants to her. He does want her to acknowledge that he came down to help her went out of his way, uh, you know, to, to do her a favor and not to do her a favor, but to. Yeah. He genuinely wanted to help her, but it's still in service of because their relationship is one of kind of this professional. They one of them says, like, we keep we've always kept things professional or something like that. Right. Once she's back out on the streets, he knows that he can go to her for information and she'll feel obliged to do that. There are two kind of great things about this is that they play that really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, With these scenes, it's it's often tips one way or the other that somebody is clearly in the right or somebody's clearly in the wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think they do a really good job of like showing that Dennis just hasn't seen it the other way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to Dennis, he's he is, in fact, doing her a favor and, and all that. But then once she kind of points it out, Dennis being the amazing person that he is, <laughs> tries to rectify it, yeah. right? Like, he has to get caught in it. Like, that, that is a, a, a major moment in this uh, scene is that he gets caught in the um, sort of caught not considering her a friend. But then once he is caught, he's like, oh, that's right. I am not doing that. I should fix this. He wants to bring things into line with how he sees them. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so once yeah. she's like, no, you're seeing this wrong, he's motivated to make a more human connection. One key thing in this scene that happens when when he, he takes her into the, the break room or whatever to offer coffee, they pass Billings going oh, in. Right. Yeah. Good, good old Billings. Yeah. And uh, Billings says like, oh, hey, Rita. How's tricks? And <laughs> oh, that is a, you know, a reference to being a prostitute and is a joke, right? Quotes. Mm-hmm. You know, Billings, that's his idea of humor. Yeah, sure. That makes it okay. Get treated like a cockroach around here. That exchange is just, it, it just rings, it's just so relevant to... Yeah. <laughs> To today, right? Yeah, because like, yeah, Dennis is like, this is why you shouldn't get worked up about that. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, that that's no reason why I shouldn't get worked up about it. Like, it, Yeah, if someone says something insulting and then says like, oh, it's just a joke. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, if it's just a joke, well, then that's fine. It wasn't insulting and it's that's yeah. not how it works. But that's like such a well-worn smokescreen yeah. for bad faith argumentation and people just being phobic and... You know, just saying like the most horrendous things, and then when they're called on it, you're like, "Oh, that's just I just have this sense of humor. Oh, it's just a joke. Yeah, it's bad and not funny, and still an offensive thing that you said. Yeah, it, it, that doesn't fix anything. And so. it's depressing that that particular relevance uh, has not changed since uh, 1978. Uh, yeah. <sighs> All right. <laughs> There we go. But this whole time, Rita is the, she, you know, she's keeping it together and she's clearly annoyed and probably exhausted and is trying to get Dennis to understand that he's being kind of uh, paternalistic and, and see where she's coming from. When she actually breaks down is 
when uh, he says that he is her friend and she's like, oh, well, a friend would have believed me when I said that uh, she says she wasn't working. She wasn't working Wilshire, like whatever Boulevard she was on. She's like, would have believed me when I said I wasn't working Wilshire. A friend would have sent me a Christmas card. Yeah. 17 years, one lousy card. And she even says she sent plenty. She apparently has sent Dennis Becker Christmas cards and he has never reciprocated. Um, And that's when she starts like breaking down and crying. There is something about this, this moment where uh, you find out, that she has sent him Christmas cards. Yeah. At no point did I think, oh, this character, I don't care for this character or, or you know, like, or anything like that. It's not like she had to win me over. But the the fact that she, there's a, there's a warmth there that she gives the cop that she helps inform mm-hmm. Christmas cards or, <laughs> you know, uh, that shows up later, like throughout the episode when you yeah. see her interact with people you see her interact with Jim. Uh, in fact, how this episode ends, which is uh, a weird thing we'll get to when mm-hmm. we get to it. All of this is that like this character is actually um, a super generous character. Mm-hmm. Both the fact that Rita Moreno is playing her, but also the, the, the nature of this character drew me in. I was mm-hmm. like, I want, I want to be friends with, with Rita. She seems amazing. Dennis. <laughs> and I think this, uh, you know, that is probably coming out of this place where she is at the end of the day, extremely alone. Yes. And this comes up yes. specifically in, in, in the next scene, but, um, you know, she's always reaching out and she just doesn't have anyone that seems to reciprocate. And that's tragic. Yeah. So, uh, uh, elsewhere in the station, uh, Jim Rockford has dropped by. He, he was in the neighborhood and he wants to see Becker. Chapman sees him and, uh, you know, is, is immediately outraged. Uh, you know, what he had to come down in person instead of phoning in his order like usual. And so <laughs> he goes to tell, uh, Becker to kick Jim out. We cut back to the break room. Rita's still crying. Uh, and Becker is telling her that she has nothing but friends here. Like, I'm your friend. Yeah. Whatever. That guy, he's your friend. You have nothing but friends here. And that's when Chapman opens the door and makes <sighs> a really sh- comment that I didn't even write down. My note is just Chapman's a dick. That is it. Yeah, it's it's awful. And Chap- Chapman gets his, his villain. He gets the villain casting here as yeah. well he should. Um, but he's he is the representative of the mainstream uh, puritanical yeah. morality. Yeah. So he's so he makes fun of Rita. It's really a, a mean thing to say. You know, tells Becker, whatever Jim's here, tell him here for. Tell him no. Get him out of here. So now Becker is under immediate pressure to do that. Uh, he goes to kick Jim out. And we have a bit where he says, whatever you're here for, no. The answer is no. I don't care what it is. <laughs> but Jim, he just has a, he got a pair of tickets to the Lakers game. He just wanted to see if <laughs> Becker wanted to go with him. But I guess the answer is no. Yep. Becker goes back to talk to Rita. And this is where she starts talking about like how she's she's just lonely. She wants someone to talk to. Uh, sometimes she pretends like she's shopping just so she can complain about prices to interact with other people. Sad, but also like certainly a thing. <laughs> yeah. She drops here that she knows she knows one old lady, and other than that, doesn't really know anyone because you usually make friends through work. And how's that going to work out for her? And then she kind of lays out some things that friends do, like spend time together, talk about things that aren't work. Uh, and this is when Billings comes in to tell Becker, Peggy needs him to pick up some soda for the party tonight. Here we go. After Becker says, oh, well, maybe I'll see if uh, 
we can, you know, get dinner sometime. Becker's like, no, it's not a party. It's a get together. It's not a party. It's just dinner with a few. And then we pause and then Rita finishes friends. Yes. He, he, he gets right on the hook with that uh, whole exchange. We know what decision he makes because we cut directly to uh, Dennis's wife, Peggy, in an outraged yes. tone of voice saying that she can't believe that he wants to bring a hooker into the house. <laughs> uh. We don't see Peggy too often. Uh, we saw her in our episode 44, Kill the Messenger, which is when uh, Becker has his lieutenant's exam. We first saw her way back in episode four, the Farnsworth Stratagem. Yes. Oh, that was so good. When the, the <laughs> Beckers were looking to uh, get in on some kind of special property deal that turned out to be a scam. She's great. I think, like, we probably don't need to see a lot more of Peggy Becker uh, in the show. But when we do see her, I think she's a delight. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's important to s- s- kind of talk about... Uh, so we have these characters who are all friends with each other, but grind on each other in certain ways, right? Like the way Angel gets on Jim's nerves or Jim gets on Dennis's nerves, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And here we have this scene where Peggy is, I think she comes out and says that she's upset that he brought a prostitute into the, the house mm-hmm. or whatever. But that I think we shortly find out that that's only part of what right. made her upset. Like there's pressure on this particular dinner party. Right. Uh, and it was suddenly made to be bigger than what it was going to be. Uh, it was made later than what it was going to be. Like, there's a bunch of things happening, and she's and she's snapping about this mm. one thing. And I think this is kind of a great thing about this character is she's uh, there's plenty there for her to be upset about that has nothing to do with uh, Rita's profession. And I don't think she fixates on Rita's profession for terribly long at all. I think we see a bit of an arc here. Yeah. So what happens here? Uh, so Peggy is, you know, snapping at Dennis. They're in the kitchen and they're arguing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's basically like, what else was I going to do? You know, she's feeling rotten. And Peggy responds yeah. with, oh, so bring her here. So we'll all feel rotten. Yeah. But that uh, Rita's helped him out a lot and never asked for anything. And she's in a tough spot. And if it's dinner she wants, then dinner she gets. So he kind of like puts his foot down about it. Uh, they're having dinner with this couple, uh, this couple, the Lofts, who uh, yes. have some kind of say over a permit that they want to get to build an apartment over their garage. So yeah, I, think, I think they're like neighbors and it would block their view. So they just need to uh, approve it. Right. And so they're kind of the idea here was to kind of wine and dine them. But yeah. now uh, we have, you know, Rita's here and then. Uh, apparently, Jim was also invited yes. I think, to kind of like round out the evening, Yes, <laughs> which is fantastic. So when they go back out to the table, we have uh, Sid and Eleanor Loft, and we immediately get the uh, the message here that, that Sid is kind of henpecked, right? Like, yeah. Whenever he does, like he wants to take extra beef and Eleanor's like, oh, beef doesn't agree with you. It's late at night because... She's upset about the time. Well, she's upset about something else, but yeah. And so Rita's trying to keep up uh, the conversation because she's a genuinely conversational person. Um, mm. So she's so she's talking to Jim. They start talking about like animals and the kinds of animals that they like. Whenever the conversation starts steering into like dangerous territory, either like crassness wise or topic wise, someone jumps in with a like. Who's ready for broccoli? Yes. <laughs> so everyone's kind of like on their toes. There's a fun game to play here, mm-hmm. uh, which is who knows what. 
Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, obviously, Dennis, Rita, and Peggy know. Mm-hmm. It seems fairly clear by the way that Jim is acting that he knows what's what. But it's not necessary for him to actually know that because Jim could just be like realizing that there's they keep touching on a sore subject yeah. and he's savvy like that. And something that I like about this is that we that this all establishes without really calling out that Rita and Jim haven't met before. Yeah, we're actually like seeing them meet each get other, to know each other, yeah, and get to know each other in this episode, which is kind of fun because a lot of the time there's backstory, right, Jim and yeah. whoever, and here we're actually seeing this like develop with a character we will see multiple times. It's not a one off like romantic right lead or whatever. Uh, but the lofts. Okay, I mean, there's things that are... There's there's a class thing here, right? Like, yeah. uh, Peggy says in the kitchen that, like, you could tell as soon as she walked in that... I think she said that she's a hooker. Yeah. there's There are class signifiers that she's, you know, has this uh, low status profession. Yeah. And Sid and Eleanor are acting like stuffy old prigs who also can see those signifiers and already know that they are and, and feel superior to everyone else at the table. So the, there's a thing here about Sid's line of questioning. Yes. The uh, social contract is that Rita is a model, right? Like yes. this is, this is the way to clear the way. So they don't have to talk about anything other than that. But Sid keeps going at that. Yeah. Just like laser focused on that. And, and the, as I'm again, I think I've mentioned this every time. Uh, I, I have seen this episode before, but it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm only vaguely recalling and I could not remember what Sid knew or didn't know. At turns, it felt like, is he going to get her to say it without realizing that he's that she's not a model? Mm-hmm. Or does he know that she's not a model and he's being a kind of a dick about it? And what we find out late in the episode <laughs> makes it like, wait, not only... Not only does he know that, but like he may be one of her Johns. Right. He's a huge dick in this conversation. No, he's, yeah, he's, he's the worst. There's an immediate, at least for me, immediate, like, okay, Eleanor is positioned as like the uh, domineering wife here. And Sid's yeah. kind of like the doofus husband. But then as the conversation goes on and he starts like going over and over, he's like, oh. Yeah, it's like I'm obsessed with professions. You're a model, and that's like. Yeah, like... Of course, I do remember a time. I think it was in the fifties. Big scandal. They rounded up all these girls, took them up right off the street, and every single one of them was carrying a hat box, claiming to be a model. Guess what they were? Do you have any idea how long it's been since I had Yorkshire pudding? Hmm? Prostitutes. Every last one of them, a common streetwalker. Now, I haven't thought about that in years. Funny how it jumped into my mind when you mentioned being a model. That's actually, there's this, like, layers of jerkiness that could be going on here. Because he could just be hitting on her, which would be a jerky thing, but not as jerky as what it turns out to be. Uh, But I do want to say, my favorite bit of this entire conversation is the monkey story. (laughs) And I don't think we should wash over the fact that Rita once had a pet monkey who made all over her couch, (laughs) all over her living room or whatever. Yeah, it's extremely good. Uh, And that's like the levity. And then that comes crashing down when Sid Sid starts going down this path. And he basically, and then he tells a story about like all these women, they all said that they were models and they all 
It turns out they were all prostitutes or something yeah. like that. Like, oh, my God. And that's when Eleanor stands up and she's like, I think we should go. They, they leave in a bit of a huff. I really love how the, the scene ends. So there's a beat. Yeah. And then Rita apologizes to Peggy, right? She's like, I, yeah. you know, she's like, I'm sorry. Like, I kind of ruined your, your dinner here. Yeah. My bad. And then Peggy says that she's sorry, too. Just like kind of a general, I'm sorry that this is how everything went down. Um, but then she says, you know, we wanted to build this apartment over our garage for my sister to move into. But she wouldn't want to live next to people like that. Oh, it's so good. And then everyone <laughs> relaxes. Uh, Becker is come back in with a bottle of wine that just got opened that was, didn't have a chance to serve and someone makes a joke about oh i think jim makes a joke about like well it is a little late for me but i could probably stand to eat you know to have a glass yeah. of wine with the rest of this dinner and like all the tension just like goes away yeah and so the arc of the scene and i know we're spending a lot of time on this but i think it's like no this is good this is a good scene this is kind of the thematic mission statement of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. The arc of the scene is more is about seeing like, okay, who are who's really the problem here? Yeah. And sure, while Rita is the catalyst, you know, like she has this socially unacceptable profession. She's coded as like lower class. Um, but then she's the only one who like brings any life to the conversation. Yeah. And then the, the lofts, the ones who who leave, once they're gone, the rest of them can can have an actual human dinner and like interact yeah. with each other as actual friends. Uh and Peggy, as you were saying, her tension isn't necessarily about Rita as a person. It was about the the chaos that she brought to this already chaotic interaction. And now that the interaction is done, Peggy can be like, Yeah, I'd rather have you here than them. Yeah. Right. Again, it's another character that just, like, things have been wrong. Let's just do it right now. Let's, you know, and, and that's great. Uh, I, 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 this scene is, is uh, worth watching if you, if you, <laughs> if you're like, I, I can only get in 15 minutes of the Rocket Files this month. <laughs> then watch the first 15 minutes or so of this episode and, and uh, you'll, you'll at least get this scene. And I will note that this whole dinner, it's like roast beef and... Oh, yeah. This is a good food. Broccoli and whatever. But Jim, Jim is particularly complimentary of of the Yorkshire pudding. Yes. He has not had a good Yorkshire pudding in a long time. And that is what he brings up every time he tries to break the uh, the tension (laughs) with uh, cutting off someone with a comment. Um, after this, this dinner party, Jim takes Rita home. Um, she usually just takes the bus to the corner, but she feels better when someone can walk her to her door. The neighborhood's really gone downhill. In fact, just the other night, two guys in a blue Mustang were following her and then jumped out and tried to like jump her when she got home. Once she got into her apartment, uh, they did finally go away, but it was very scary. Jim is, I think, appropriately concerned, but she's more telling a story than like... Yeah, she's not uh, trying to engage his services right. quite yet. Um, he takes a rain check for coming in for coffee. Yeah. And um, she ends their conversation by saying that uh, Peggy Peggy and Den have some real nice friends. Yes. Good old Den. Good old Den. <laughs> Jim is leaving, and as he's you know taking a turn at a stop sign, he sees a blue Mustang racing Uh-oh. past him into the neighborhood. I just say, I love this moment. <laughs> I love this decisiveness where, mm-hmm. where, where Jim's like, wait, I just heard about a blue Mustang. That's a blue Mustang. Boom. The, the camera's like on his face as we see him kind of like just driving by reflex as he decides what to do. Yeah. And then his yeah. resolve. 
Oh, firming, so and then we pull out and we see him pull pull a J turn, not just any stop and go yeah, back. Yeah, no, he's like, let's do it. Yeah, like I gotta get there immediately. Uh, the the music gets very exciting here. We get into like yeah. exciting action music. Underscore as he pulls the J turn, races back, and sure enough, there are two goons in Rita's apartment. One of them's grabbed her, and the other one is tossing stuff around, looking for something, apparently. Uh, Jim rushes in. He jumps uh, one of the guys. The other one lets go of Rita and then hits him in the back of the head with a vase. Oh. It's like a vase or maybe it's a lamp. Uh, it's big and heavy. Yeah. Uh, Rita starts screaming for the police and they run off. Um, we have a moment where she's, she's please, please wake up, right? Like, it's very dire. Um, but then we cut. I think there's probably a commercial break here, and we come back to Jim uh, coming around, uh, sitting sitting on the love seat with an ice pack on his neck. Jim and the ice pack. I love Jim's business with ice packs too. Like, because <laughs> uh, there's a time, there's a moment where he, he takes it off his neck and looks at it quizzically, and there's no explanation or any reason that other than just like I don't know. I, I just I love his business with it, just because mm. uh, there's something comfortable about how hurt he is by this because this is a thing that happens to him i mean what we're on season four now mm-hmm. i think he he has a finely developed sense of like how much pain he's in yeah <laughs> at any given time <laughs> he's like oh okay no i'm concussed so uh rita doesn't know who those guys were or why they're coming after her uh but yeah. it's, it's three in the morning and so jim says well they're long gone by now i'll let becker sleep in yeah <laughs> oh and does he yeah, apparently he lets him sleep in until five in the morning. <laughs> so they are at the station giving their report to Becker, who is in full. I'm grumpy that you are coming directly to me. Everyone here is fully trained in taking reports. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Jim needs needs an aspirin. And I only really noted this because... <laughs> yeah, me too. Same reason. Because <laughs> we recently did the... the uh, the movie where there's that whole extended bit about Jim needing aspirin and no one giving it to him. <laughs> I wonder if that was seated in this episode. That's it. That was Asks uh, Becker for aspirin and then asks if there's a specific police rule that would not allow him to give him aspirin for his <laughs> headache. Literally, like, the, my notes, exactly. I was like, is this foreshadowing for the movie? Like, <laughs> is the movie an Easter egg? Is that what's going on? <laughs> well done. Well played, uh, Cannell and Company. Uh, Bartlett wrote both of these scripts, so maybe oh, she was casting well, back. Well played, Bartlett. Yeah. So yeah, the report's pretty sparse. Uh, two French-speaking guys that were kind of yelling at each other in French during that whole altercation. Yes. One yelled out Rudy, so one's name is probably Rudy. <laughs> they have a license plate number, but Jim didn't write it down, so they're, it's one of a number of possibilities of transposed numbers. Rita... Uh, is kind of concerned. Uh, I think I rightly so that Dennis doesn't seem to be taking this too seriously. He says that like, it's not him, but you know, once he files this or whatever, you know how it is. Uh, Chapman is going to just think that it's some John with a beef. And she says that, well, you think I don't know faces? Yeah. <laughs> you know, these guys weren't Johns. Uh, she's never seen them before. Doesn't know what they were trying to do. Uh, Becker says that she shouldn't go back to her apartment while they check things out. Okay. And so here, is a moment that I'm just, as we go back, that I'm just kind of noting. Um, she says something about like, oh yeah, because I can afford to just check into a hotel for however long this is going to take. Yeah. And he takes her over to the side to talk to her alone. And we don't really, we get like the sound of them talking, but we can't really hear what they're saying on the mm-hmm. audio. And we're watching 
Jim watch them talk. Yeah. And then they um, come back and I think they say that like, oh, Jim, Jim can, can get you set up somewhere safe for now. Right. Yeah. Something like that. And at the time I was like, huh, I, I wonder where that's going. And then I completely forgot about it. And now I'm realizing what that was. Me too, actually. <laughs> yeah. I like it wasn't until you mentioned it that I was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, because it does feel out of the blue. When it comes up later. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we're both thinking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and our audience, who's clearly already seen the episode, is having the exact same revelation right now. Right. And they're also thinking about the same thing. We'll let it, we'll reveal it at the correct time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, uh, you know, Jim, Jim's is ready to, to help her out to find a motel. Uh, she's like, so you're a PI though, right? Like, that's what you said last night. It's like, oh, right. Yeah. They've just met each other. She asks him if he's looking for work. He's always looking for work, but his plan for today was to take a nap and then go to the Lakers game. <laughs> uh, but she wants to hire him. The cops aren't taking aren't going to take this seriously. She's willing to pay. He's like, oh, it's pretty expensive. And we get the full line, which I feel like we don't get in a lot of episodes, especially yeah. past the first couple of seasons. Hiring a private detective is expensive. Well, how expensive? $200 a day plus expenses. She has 125. Yeah. And she has like a roll of bills in her hand. Uh, but she'll have the rest for him tomorrow. He says that he doesn't want to take her money. Her, her kind of motivation here is that like she can see that Dennis is gonna, is drowning under red tape on, on this, right? Like, yeah. It's not going to move fast, even if it moves at all. And that she's legitimately terrified. She's so scared she doesn't know how to act. Yeah. And why you think that my life isn't worth 200 measly dollars? <laughs> um, Good line. There's an interaction here where he, where she like offers him the money, says that she'll get the rest of it tomorrow. He doesn't want to take it from her. And I don't remember if he says or he kind of implies like, I don't want you to do what you need to do to get the rest of the money. Right. Yeah. And this is in the preview montage, right? The character defining line of the episode, right? <laughs> yeah. Look, Jim, I do what I do. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to explain. I'm not asking you to. They have achieved an understanding. Yes. She's a sex worker. That's what she does. She's not going to apologize for it. And she's not going to, like, explain why she does it or, like, what led her into her life. Yeah, we're not given the hard luck story that right. uh, that we need to feel good about what's happening. Right. And then Jim's, I don't need to hear it. Yeah. Like, your word is good enough, right? Like, once we get through the usual Rockford trying to turn down a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he gets it. So he takes... Takes the 125 and says, all right, we'll work something out. So he's leaving the door open to, <laughs> yeah. I won't take any more money from you, but he'll be on the case. She says that she does have her one friend she can stay with. This is her soul lady named Maggie. Uh, and uh, who's that? She's not what you think. <laughs> yeah. And she's not. Our joke in the cut here. Uh, she's not what you think. And we go to meet Maggie Gilson, a... An elderly woman. I know that she has very sweet grandma vibes. Yeah. So Jim and Rita uh, have apparently have like just arrived and she's bringing in Rita uh, saying she has a full house all of a sudden because she has a social visit from two other uh, gentlemen who are there. Uh, Dr. Woodruff and a Mr. Helpern or Mr. Woodruff and Dr. Helpern. I might mix them up. Doesn't really matter. One of them matters and the other doesn't. Yes. One of them will disappear. But they're they're just there on a, uh, as she says, on a social visit. As they can see, she's doing fine. She's feeling good. And she's not at all alone because Rita is going to be staying with her for a little while. <laughs> so they seem reassured by this and they see themselves out. Uh, Maggie uh, apparently already kind of knows what's going on. Yeah, she's gets immediately conspiratorial. Yeah. 
the moment it happens, like, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, yeah, no, I, that's, it's great. I love the way she jumps into it. Uh, so Rita's going to stay there while Jim stakes out her apartment and sees, you know, if those guys broken once they're probably gonna try again yeah go from there there's a uh, a joke here where rita says like this is what i get for drinking california wine <laughs> oh well because they were speaking french right they go around and beat up everyone who doesn't drink right. french wine that's that's what we know about the french they're well known for beating people up um and so we have a thing of like well just because they're speaking french uh, that doesn't mean they were French. That's a universal language. Oh, yeah. Maggie specifically says that, you know, my 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 husband, her late husband, um, he was a big fan of a Canadian hockey team, the Ottawa Otters, and they speak <laughs> French up there. French is universal as a universal language. So I'm watching this. I'm like, so this is all business, but also something in here is important. And so yeah. I noted the <laughs> Ottawa Otters. Also, I think I kind of remembered from the first time I saw this. I'm like, oh. But that stands out in the conversation. Yeah, it also there's just something there's something about the Ottawa Otters. Like that sounds like the name of a hockey team that somehow Angel would get a scam <laughs> going with yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. Like Jim would would find out that it's a fake hockey team. Yeah, Angel would definitely get money from Jim to buy in a share of the Ottawa Otters <laughs> that turned out not to exist and to be money laundering for some mob something right. or other. Yeah, we could just write these episodes. Why don't? <laughs> That's, That'll be our, our first fan episode. Yeah. Jim uh, goes off to do, you know, things he needs to do. Rita and Maggie make a plan for dinner. They'll do something special. Oh, yeah. We'll make French trout. And there's another bit of business about how she, like, she only, like, buys light foods because she doesn't want to be, want the supermarket to, like, be mad at her for taking the cart away or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. That is all to say that it is kind of established that Rita and Rita's like, oh, I'll go get the groceries. Yeah. We uh, go to Jim waiting at Rita's apartment. He has a tape recorder next to the phone. And at first I'm like, oh, he's going to record a call or it's an answering machine or something. Yeah. But no, the phone rings. He picks it up, holds it over the tape recorder and plays. And it's a tape of Rita saying, hello. And then (laughs) he holds it up to, you know, find out who it is, uh, which is a great little piece of analog tradecraft that i wrote down jim is up rita's client list oh yeah because i i can't imagine there's a lot of repeat business from people who call up rita and then hear jim's voice Mm -hmm. yes it's it's like get lost buddy or something like that yeah uh well he does that on the first one and then someone starts knocking on the door looking for rita come on it's bill and he looks at the little uh people and like shakes his head the phone starts ringing again so he picks it up and it's someone else and that one he just kind of smiles and hangs up right yeah still like we get the picture from his facial expression that he's like okay like this is her you know this is what happens this is the life uh but yeah he's definitely messing with her uh with her business uh in one way or another so uh he's there we then have a a voiceover of French chatter um, right. as we see the blue Mustang pulling up outside of Maggie's house. And I, we see our two francophone goons uh, find a window and slide it up and go in. And then we cut to Rita carrying a bag of groceries walking back to the house. And we hear an alarm go off. Then we hear a shot. And then the yeah. guns run out of the front and uh, peel out in the Mustang. And then Rita screams Maggie's name and drops the groceries and runs in to see what happened. And we cut to a couple of cops bringing in the the gurney, the whole shebang of crime scene trappings as poor Maggie has in fact been shot. 
Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the information superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidia, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the worldwide wrestling, pro-wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Mm. All right, well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show then. The only thing that, other than what you just said there that I have my notes, is to just make note of one of these French guys' mustache. Oh, yeah, the blonde one? An exquisite mustache, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I even right down to poor Maggie. Chapman's on site. Uh, the doctor, uh, the the doctor is there. Uh, he's an old friend of the family, and so they called. I guess Jim called him because they had met the day before or whatever. Okay, so there's two things here um, that I wanted to talk about. So plot wise, they established that she went for it. Like the, the doctor's kind of like, oh, I, I, you know, I kept on telling her she should get a better alarm system but she didn't want to pay for it to be in the windows and like well the alarm did go off well she went for the panic button and she hit it and that must have been why they killed her jim is telling chapman that you can't just ignore that these are the same guys that accosted rita these must be connected you know you, you you can't just dismiss that there's more going on here they weren't just burglars yeah there's a bit where the doctor wants to know what's going on, and then Jim kind of, like, clams up. Yeah. Which I think might be indicating that he's already thinking that there's something suspicious about those, you know, the two guys. But I don't think we see the doctor after this. It could easily be the fact that Jim just doesn't like talking about cases with other people, right? Like, he's he's all about client confidentiality. But yeah, it is suspicious in that it seems that he might be suspicious. And so Jim ends up agreeing with Chapman that this is uh, the the important thing here is that we concentrate on keeping Rita alive. Yeah. Okay. So the two things that I wanted to to bring up here and see what you think. Uh, First is there's a whole bit where Rita's blaming herself. Yeah. Uh, If I hadn't come and stayed here, this wouldn't have happened. They were after me and they killed her or whatever. And Jim, he's trying to calm her down and tell her it's not her fault. And he specifically says, you know, you're not responsible. You know who's responsible? The goons right. who pulled the trigger, they're responsible. And in my notes, I do a big thank you. Yes. <laughs> I will contrast this with uh, our ongoing conversation with the with, with the Gandhi episodes. Where yeah. Jim keeps on telling Gandhi that it's not his fault that other people made decisions that, that were in response to Gandhi's actions. Yeah, yeah. This is a case where Jim is right. As yes. opposed to where Jim is wrong mm-hmm. when he's talking to Gandhi, uh, because Gandhi's actions lead to things uh, not entirely foreseeable, but definitely foreseeable 
consequences. Whereas here, in fact, Jim says that he's he had his eyes in the rearview mirror the whole time. He wasn't followed. Right. That's the scene, right? This is. Uh, the... I think that's in the next the next. Oh, scene. okay. But look at me uh, jumping ahead. No, but yeah, I mean that's part of it is where his 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 mind's probably working and kind of being like you know yeah. trying to put the pieces together. Yeah, so here's here's the situation where when a crime is committed, <laughs> yeah, right, it's the person who did it. They're the one who that's the intent. You know, that's the that's the person who is at fault. Sure, there can be a structure within which that made that the only possibility for them or like whatever. But yeah, uh, at the end of the day, this is a correct interpretation <laughs> to me of uh, of placing blame for someone's actions, right? Yeah. And and so I just yeah, it, it really jumped out to me as like as as something that uh, you know, contrasted with how he has placed blame and responsibility before yeah. uh in other shows. So that so that's the one thing. The other thing I wanted to bring up as a as a question. So in our last episode, we talked about how the murder of the woman in yes, in uh uh Angels penthouse by the mob in order to frame angel and jim in order to make it so they couldn't go to the cops right yeah and how that felt like kind of an unmotivated like kind of fridging yeah. of a of a woman yeah for a plot effect now here's a general uh, here's a genuine question i didn't have that visceral response to this is this appreciably different though taking this character of maggie introducing her with a little bit of characterization and then She's killed. The interesting divide there, well, yeah, it's weird. Okay, because we can say with, again, spoilers, <laughs> uh, we know the ending. Right. And uh, we know that she's the target, right? Right, yeah. So so fiction-wise, absolutely not. Like, as a whole, when you look at the whole thing, absolutely not. It's not the same thing. But at this point, what do we know uh, other than that this is... Uh, she may have been an innocent bystander in uh, the middle of whatever is going on with um, Rita's character, right? And uh, so, yeah, it's hard to tell. Like, I didn't have that visceral reaction of like, oh, okay, they killed a woman to raise the stakes. Like, I didn't feel that way here. And I'm trying to parse out whether that's because of the actual way that it's structured in the show or whether it's because the character is more sympathetic here. Well, than she is in the previous episode. No, I think at this point in the episode, what what we don't know is is, is important, right? Because mm-hmm. I think it's never not clear that uh, the woman is killed in the other episode to put pressure on Angel. It's kind of purely functional, like yeah. both the act itself in the fiction and yeah. as part of the plot. And where we sit right now, I think it is clear to the audience that... Uh, there's enough red herring material out there that we really don't know the motivation of these French-speaking mm-hmm. assassins, mm-hmm. assassins. I think it's still up in the air about the motivation behind why she was killed. Right. I think that's why, as a gut reaction, we don't have a reaction yet. It's more an element of the mystery. And it's like, it's a bit of a tra- of tragedy, right? Yeah. We're not like, oh, they're doing that to motivate someone. Mm-hmm. We're like, whoa, why did she get killed? Like, yeah. how did they end up at that home? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. I, I felt sorry for Maggie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also felt that she was doomed 
from the start. So yeah. maybe that's going on too. Maybe I'm remembering enough of the episode to yeah, know that. Possible. I think also this guy, um, uh, I'm looking at the IMDb, Woodruff. Mm-hmm. The non-doctor. Woodruff is the partner. Yeah, he's vaguely Vincent Pricey, mm-hmm. and so when we first meet him, I'm like, "Oh, this guy's a villain." <laughs> Look at his mustache. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have like a little bit of like, "Oh, the villain knows her Maggie," so this is probably yeah, which is some real meta things going on there <laughs> and not at all like the the text of the episode. Oh sure. Yeah, it's just I think it stood out to me because we yeah. made hay about it in the last episode. And then I think for for both of those points, I do think that it matters that this is a uh, a Bartlett script. Yeah. Now I did did a little bit of looking around about this episode. This is because Rita Moreno did win an uh, Emmy for this. And as it turned out, this was the first time she could be there for the award ceremony. When she won her first one, she oh. couldn't come to the ceremony for whatever reason. Um, so this is the first time that she was went up on stage and made a, a speech. And there's a clip of it on YouTube. And uh, it's very sweet. She's very excited. But there's a line in there where she says... Uh, and I have the support of Jim Garner and Mita Rosenberg and a lady who really knows how to write about ladies, Juanita Bartlett, a super producer, Charles Johnson. I can only wish for you that you were me. Thank you. And a lady who really knows how to write about ladies, Juanita Bartlett. Oh, nice. I thought it was a really de- uh, demonstrable, yeah. you know thing like she said that when she accepted her award yeah <laughs> there's there's a variety article that has a little bit more commentary from her and i'll link these both in the show notes but um uh, at the time not a lot of people really gave a crap about writing female characters and yeah this was a well this is someone who actually cares about that writing writing good female characters so i feel like you know jim's reaction to rita here makes much more sense <laughs> <laughs> in yeah. that context uh than uh his his reaction to gandhi so just wanted to call that out as some interesting and i think meaningful uh stuff about this i'd back that story in our next scene they go to rockies the safe Yay! haven for all of those who are being pursued by goons there's uh, uh they go there because jim thinks if they tracked rita to uh, Maggie's, uh, they could have possibly track, uh, you know, tr- tracked him as well. They might be waiting at his trailer. So this is a safer place. And the bit here is that Rocky, he hasn't seen her eat anything. He wants her to, to drink this cup of coffee. At least drink this coffee. There's lots of cream and sugar. She <sighs> takes a sip and makes this horrendous face and goes, how much sugar did you put in this? And he says it's instant energy. <laughs> I do like uh, Jim's comment that Rocky is about 98% mother hen, mm-hmm. which is great. And and demonstrably true. Yeah, yeah. There's a gag where, where Dennis finally gives them a call back. He, because Jim gave Dennis his, his Liker tickets in the end because he was now on the case. So Dennis took his son, Scott, who, as we know from other episodes, has, they've told Jim that he was yes. named after Jim because his middle name is Scott. But that is not actually why he was named Scott. Um, not relevant here. <laughs> Bring in some uh, outside uh, context. Uh, anyway, Dennis calls. He wants to talk about the game, but then Peggy calls him upstairs because Scott's throwing up all over the bathroom. <laughs> Dennis needs to clean it up. Uh, I love it. So they don't get to talk until the next day uh, when they finally made the plates. And it turns out that the car was indeed stolen. It was stolen from the forum 
during a hockey game. So Jim and Rita are talking to Becker at the station. Uh, Chapman comes in and starts berating Becker while Jim keeps asking him questions. Mm -hmm. So he's doing the giving Jim information on the side while being harangued by Chapman that, (laughs) that, that Dennis Becker does so well. Uh, Jim asks, was it the Ottawa Otters? And as it turns out, yes. It was during an Ottawa Otters game that this uh, car was stolen. Yes. But then Chapman wants to talk to the three of them in his office. As they make their way to the office, Jim tries to lay out this connection. They're French-speaking guys. Maggie's uh, late husband was in some kind of business with Ottawa Otters. They're from Canada. There's some connection here. You can't just dismiss this. But then once in the office... Chapman lays it out, frankly. Uh, he's apparently known Rita since his time on the Vice Squad and says that, that Jim and Rita are two of a kind. They'll do anything for a buck. Oh, God. The way he says it is really bad, but also that is... You can you can see why they have formed the relationship they have formed, right? Because they are kind of on the same end of the right, social right. spectrum of socially acceptable jobs. Uh, doesn't he have a line... Chapman have another line in here about... Collecting oddballs is her yeah. job or something like that. Yeah, it, something it's, like that. It's really pretty bad stuff. Uh, Chapman's a dick. I'm just going to put it out there. Oh, like, yeah. There's no doubt about it. And uh, it made, in light of the most recent TV movie that we watched, mm-hmm. it's great to see him get it. I mean, I always love it when Chapman gets his comeuppance. But this one, really, definitely. Yeah, yeah he's really the voice of the like moral majority puritanical American attitude towards sex and sex workers. You know, you don't yeah. count is basically the, the thing. And we know that Chapman is always is the antagonist, but this is very clearly placed on him as the as this as as that disapproving voice, right? Yeah. He basically wants them out of it. He's sending Becker to do a very important seminar in traffic safety <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> and he wants Jim and Rita to get out. Uh here we get what I think is is the explanation for that uh, pull-to-the-side conversation between Rita and Dennis yes. earlier. So Jim's like, look, she's scared for her life. If Rita thinks it's important enough to pay me $200 a day... Where did Rita get $200? Well, she didn't have the full 200 She gave me $125 down. And- Is that the $125 you got from me yesterday? Is that the $125 you requisitioned from the department? And then Jim and Rita leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dennis... Dennis, Dennis, Dennis. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the first time I saw this, I didn't catch that that moment, that quiet moment where they were off together where clearly he was giving her cop money because she couldn't afford a hotel. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. All connects. I just yeah. didn't realize it until we were going back through that that's the payoff for that moment earlier. It helps with this this particular scene. It helps to know that now because... I was having this weird, like, what are you doing, Dennis? Like, why are you giving away the 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 farm here by saying, oh, it's, is that the 125 I gave you? Like, it, that seemed... Seemed like a weird flex. Yeah, exactly. But now, now, realizing that it's money he gave her for a hotel room. Right. Then you can see maybe what's going through his head. Like, well, then why were you at... Did you take my money and then just go to Maggie so you mm-hmm. could get the, you know, like, you can see a little bit more about, like, that money was meant for a hotel room. Sure. And you're you're paying Jim with <laughs> that money. Because I know when I saw it and didn't piece that together, 
I just assumed it was money that he paid her for informing on something. And I didn't know what. I kind of just assumed that it was like he felt bad, so he gave her some money. Yeah. think times were tough or whatever. Yeah. Which is essentially kind of what happened. The function, I mean, it's kind of a gag, right? Like the functional thing here is to kind of like break the tension of the scene and move us forward into the next sequence. Um, so I don't know if it's really, it's not really like plot necessary or anything like that, but, uh, I think it's more about Dennis than anything else. Cause not only yeah. did he feel bad or whatever and want to help her out, but it's not his money. <laughs> it was department money. Yes. I think exactly. that says something about Dennis too. Yeah. <laughs> not quite sure what it says, but I think it says something. We do cut from here to a hot dog stand where Jim has gotten himself a hot dog. Uh, and this whole episode, this becomes clearer as we go. You know, usually we don't see Jim eat. In this episode, we actually do see Jim eat a couple times, and Rita is the one who who doesn't eat. She doesn't eat unless she's involved in the creation of the food, mm-hmm. which is interesting. She says that she's not hungry, and then sometimes she's involved with food, but we don't really see her eating. Just saying, we saw Jim eat Yorkshire pudding earlier, and then here... He uh, quietly chows down this hot dog while they're talking. Like it's not even a big deal. Yeah. But she, again, she doesn't have anything here. Earlier she told Rocky she wasn't hungry. Later she's going to tell Rocky she isn't hungry. She's taken over the I'm not eating mantle in this episode. Yes. (laughs) Somebody's got to. So Jim says, so what if it wasn't a mistake? What if they were looking for Maggie? This is where he says that he's sure that they weren't followed. Yeah. Uh, Rita's like, so how did they know where I was? Well, those two guys, Woodruff and Halpern, were there when we just said it. They, you know, you're going to be staying here. Um, what do you know about them? And she doesn't know the one guy, but uh, Woodruff was Maggie's husband's partner in whatever business they had. And that he actually brought Maggie a check every month and, you know, was friend of the family or whatever. Uh, so I think Jim asks, like, so is he, he also owned the otters? And she says, like, oh, I don't know about that. He told Rita that he was a furrier. Yeah. So he does the equivalent of let me let me Google this real quick. He goes <laughs> to the phone book that's in the uh, that's in the phone uh, booth, looks him up, and sure enough, finds an entry for Woodruff and Gilson Furriers. Mm-hmm. I love this moment. Yeah, me too. <laughs> he 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 tears the page out of the phone book, and every time he does that, I always have the thought of like someone else is going to need that. Yeah. And Rita gives him a look, and he just goes, I'll put it back, okay? <laughs> it's so good. I, yeah, I I mean, I just love that they comment on that, because it is such a trope to mm-hmm. just find the information you need and tear it right out of the phone book. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe that's okay. I mean, phone books get replaced, or used to get replaced, I want to say yearly. Every year. Yeah, and so when you consider how many pages are in the phone book, the odds of someone needing that particular page, you know, looking for furriers <laughs> at that particular time. Maybe it's okay that pages get torn out of phone books from time to time. I don't know. Hmm. We don't. We, it doesn't matter anymore because <laughs> you you have a you just say okay, Google, mm-hmm. find me uh, a furrier. But it was great that it was like commented on and yeah. that they like they they just had a moment where it was like yeah. Um, so we uh, see them quickly following this up. Uh, there's a building with the Canadian flag out front. <laughs> yes. So it's the Canadian American Trading Company and the Woodruff and Gilson Furriers are a subsidiary. And then they do some more research, as we can tell from uh, Rocky's kitchen table, completely covered in newspapers and magazines and brochures. 
And this trading company is a conglomerate, you know, that owns uh, the furriers or whatever. Jim says that he's no wizard of Wall Street, but whatever this concern is, it's got to be worth millions. This is where Rocky brings Rita a sandwich and wants her to eat. But she's just she's just not hungry. Uh, and here I thought that you'd appreciate uh, what she brings up uh, in terms of oh, this is so good of uh, uh, Jim's uh, trade craft. Uh, yeah, because they've got paperwork all over the place, and they're digging through it. And uh, I mean, she, I wrote this down. And she goes, you know, PI work is not what I thought it would be. Uh, this is boring. And Jim's response to this, I wish I would like to take a picture of it and just somehow turn it into an inspirational poster because he just says i always thought of this stage as restful <laughs> like we've discussed this before where he makes comments on the fact that if his life was always like this action these action moments he wouldn't live long again the the movie one that we did recently uh made that comment but this one was just it was so great to just get this insight into jim just being like you know this is when i do the research that's fun and that's yeah i just i relax i get to sit down and Pour through documents. Oh, yeah, what's not to like? Yeah. My dad makes me sandwiches. No one's shooting at me. Yeah. He does ask her uh, he know, if she knows anything else about uh, Maggie's husband and his business. And she doesn't really know much. She's, she does say that Maggie was always complaining about these papers that Woodruff wanted her to sign and was bringing by all the time. They try to see they find a hockey magazine and take a look at the roster of the Ottawa Otters. But uh, these guys... She does not recognize either of them in this picture, but the husband sold off that interest over 10 years ago. So maybe these guys, you know, aren't current players. They were hockey goons from that era is what they posit and which I think we can take as truth. Um, there's a, a bit made where Rocky asks them if they're going to clean all this stuff up. And Jim says, yeah, when we're done, by the end of the scene, Jim has decided that they're, they've gotten all they can out of research. Let's go to the next phase. And uh, they just leave Rocky. It's like, hey, I thought you were going to clean this up. And Jim's just like, later, I'll do it later. Yeah. And then after they're gone, Rocky, with a grumpy face, takes a bite of his own sandwich. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think the transition line here is that he's going to introduce Rita to a very important part of PI work. We're going to talk to Woodruff. And he says no. And then we cut to them sitting in the car outside of the uh, trading company building. And Rita says, we've been here for hours. <laughs> Waiting is the other part. Yes. Rita says that they should go back to her apartment because if they try to hit her there once, they'll try again. And then they can get them uh, if they're prepared. But as she says this, a fancy limo pulls up. Woodruff gets into it. And Jim is proven right as he is able to follow them through a brief montage. This is the most leisurely chase sequence <laughs> in the entirety of the Rockford Files. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what it is about this that I love so much, except it just, it was such a, uh, I can't help but think it was done as a joke of some sort, because mm -hmm. it's just this car following that car, and it's just going along, and it's gentle music, and it, it is the exact opposite of every chase sequence they've had. Soft fades from one to the other, yeah. so it's kind of like, it kind of implies that there's a lot of time in yeah. this, and it's just like a long drive through, like, pleasant coastal California. This is all established through signs they pass, which is kind of nice, so they, they're, they're, they're going on to some kind of, like, golf course or, or uh, country club or something. There's a sign, like, you know, watch out for golfers. And then yes. a limo pulls up to the castaway restaurant and uh, Woodruff goes into the private party for the Ottawa Otters. Welcome, Ottawa Otters. <laughs> Jim and Rita crash the party. 
And we get another piece of tradecraft here oh. with Jim and his business card. I made a note of this before Jim actually literally comments on it. <laughs> but there's this great moment where as he's coming in, you see him he's flipping through his business cards mm-hmm. to choose the right one. And then when he pulls it out, he won't let the guy see it. Right. And it's just gesturing with his hands <laughs> so that like there's no examination of it whatsoever. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, and so he claims to, or he implies that they are reporters from some kind of national publication doing a story on the Ottawa Otters, but they'll say yeah. some nice things about the restaurant. So there's a guy, it's invitation only, and a guy wants their invitation. He works for the restaurant. Uh, Jim kind of butters him up. <laughs> the guy says that, well, if anyone complains, they're going to have to leave. But if they're there for a story, then he guess sure, it's fine. Um, and then, yeah, and then... Uh, Rita makes the comment of like, first he says like, how do you have that business card? And he explains that he has his own printing press and he prints them himself. And then she says, how do you know that you wanted to be a reporter? And he goes through the list of all the different cards that he had printed up so that he'd be prepared for any occasion. Oh, so good. They make contact with Woodruff. Uh, He sees them. He comes over to talk (sighs) to them. So in my notes, I say that this is where Jim goes fishing, right? He just starts this conversation where he kind of makes accusations and implications and lets the other guy react to see what's going on. I love, I, I, I just love how, I guess menacing is not the right word for it. Cause Jim doesn't come off as physically menacing. No, but from the moment that Woodruff notices him, Jim just pretends he has the blackmail. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's just it. Like just the nod to him at the party is just clearly showing Woodruff. I I'm onto you. Now I'm just showing off. Now I'm just flaunting it. Yeah, straight up confidence, like confidence game, but like being confident and letting the other guy make the connections for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a whole lot, but it's kind of just enough to show us that they're on the right track, right? Yeah, Uh, There's kind of a gag where he says like, oh, you know, we don't want, I don't want much. Maybe just a couple of fur hats for starters. Yes. (laughs) Um, There's plenty in the Woodruff-Gilson empire for everybody. Uh, Woodruff kind of gives them a little bit of... I don't even know why you're here. I'm going to have you kicked out if you don't leave. And then Jim hits him with the, uh, so did you steal all of Maggie's money? (laughs) Little old lady like that. Yeah. And his response is, you have no proof. It's like, aha. Right. Like that is a response indicating that you're on the right track. (laughs) You have done this. And so Jim leaves it at like, send us those hats and we'll be in touch later for the rest of it. Right. Like he kind of leaves it hanging about. He doesn't make any accusation or he just kind of again leaves them with this impression that he knows something that he knows enough but he got what he wanted uh and woodruff looks worried at the end of this scene i think this is another uh standard rockford maneuver which is poke the bear and anticipate a response right he is now shown woodruff that he knows whatever Mm -hmm. woodruff thinks he knows and that is going to provoke him probably to do something drastic which of course he does so in our next scene, uh, we cut to Rita on her couch and Jim hiding behind it. Yeah, with his head popping up over the thing. Jim's a big guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think that somebody even commented on that in this episode. Anyways, the point is, it's just funny to see him try and hide behind the couch. Yeah. So there's still something that she can't figure out. If Woodruff was stealing money from Maggie... And was afraid that she's going to find out about it. That explains killing Maggie. But why were they after Rita? Right. And that's a good question, which is not answered uh, because there's a 
there's a phone call that Rita answers, and uh, from her responses, it's clearly a, a client calling, trying to make a date. She kind of foists it off, says that she can't tonight, whatever. The facial acting between her and Jim in this scene while she's on the phone is really amazing. Like, yeah. There's a whole conversation that they have with their <laughs> facial expressions. Oh, can't believe that you have to deal with this. Yeah. You know, kind of all the way through to like, you know, let me just handle it. This is my business, not yours. And kind of like, okay, you know, as long as, as long as you can get them off the phone, we're fine. Like, and I'm just reading all of this into these glances and their facial expressions. And it's it's another moment where it's like, she has her job. She does her job. She's not going to apologize for it. And Jim's like, okay, fine. That's your job. I'm not going to give you grief about it. Mm -hmm. Carried out with looks and movement. It's, uh, it's really good. And then there's a knock on the door. So this is also echoing when Jim was there alone earlier. Like, there's a phone call. And then there's a knock on the door. Jim goes over, looks at the people, and then pulls the door open. And who is it but Sid? <laughs> Sid Loft oh, from yeah. dinner has come by with a bottle of, uh, as we see later, French wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, or so she opens the door. I'm sorry. Uh, Rita opens the door. Yeah. And when Jim climbs over the couch... <laughs> And Sid sees him. He is uh, flabbergasted, I would say. So, I mean, this is where it comes up now. Mm -hmm. Sid's behavior at that dinner party is the worst. It is the worst of all possible worlds. Mm -hmm. He knows where she lives. He must have been a John. Yeah. So he's somehow toying with her. I don't know if he thinks he's being flirtatious the way he's toying with her at that, that meal. Like... Talking about the models who all turned out to be prostitutes, kind of daring her to say that she's a prostitute, but knowing uh, just, yeah, f- Sid is what I'm saying. <laughs> this guy. Well, I think his, so he's the stand in here for the hypocritical yeah. husband who, you know, has all these morals in public, but in private, like cheats on his wife and indulges in what he judges so harshly around other people. Yeah. Right. And that is that is a bad person <laughs> in this in this episode. Uh, so Sid is played by Bruce Kirby, um, who's been in, a, in another couple of Rockford episodes, um, but is also a recurring character on Columbo. Oh, yeah. uh, he's kind of like a bit part in a couple episodes. And then he's also Sergeant Kramer um, in, in later ones where there's kind of a recurring sergeant character. I mean, this character is terrible. Bruce Kirby is great. Yeah, no. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was in the big ripoff, uh, our episode 38, uh, which is the one where he's the where there's the insurance scam with the husband who fakes his own death and then oh, yeah. goes to Southern California and is an artist. Uh, Bruce Kirby is the art dealer that Jim confronts uh, yeah. and has the gun in his drawer. Remember that? It's a good scene. Yeah. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a big Bruce Kirby fan. But uh, Sid is terrible. <laughs> um, he Yeah, he says that. So Jim, like, pulls him in by the tie and is like, you have to leave. And Sid has this, like, he looks between the two of them and goes like, look, we're all adults here. We can work something out. <laughs> Just what is Sid trying to work out? I want to know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> he clearly assumes, you know, that he knows what's what's going on. Uh, so they're all arguing. And then we have a shot. Uh, outside in like a stairwell of a foot knocking a bottle over and Jim hears it. So he, um, so he drags it into this hall closet and closes the door. Rita goes into uh, the kitchen and then our French goons bust in. Uh, they have guns. They run into the living room. 
Jim opens the door and shouts Becker. And then they take a shot at Jim. And then our good friend, Dennis Becker, jumps out of the kitchen with a bunch of other cops. And they uh, catch the guys red-handed, arrest our, our, our nefarious francophones. So this is, I'm going to propose a urban legend here. Hmm. If you hide in a closet and then jump out and yell Becker, you'll summon... <laughs> summon Becker? Dennis Becker and a bunch of cops, right? Like that's, It's like Candyman, right? Or, or Bloody Mary or what, <laughs> what have you. Uh, I'm going to call this just a bit of convenient writing. Because oh, this, sure. is, this is a part in the, where I'm like, how did everything else that went down at the beginning of this scene go down with the without these cops coming in and telling them to shut? You know what I mean? Like, it, mm-hmm. like so much of this is this conversation that they have where the cops are hiding just in the other room. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would assume that don't come out until I call you, right? Like, there's right. some yeah. <laughs> kind of like prearranged, you know, let things happen until I call you out here. But yes, it is a bit of. Uh, and given all the pressure that has been on Dennis, uh, especially from Chapman, mm-hmm. uh, and then being able to just pull all of these, you know, squatties or whatever, like, it is a thing where, like, I'm not going to think too much about it. Yeah. I just love the fact that he jumps out, shouts Becker, and they come running. It's a fun little set piece. Yeah, yeah. Well, and thematically, it's important that Becker specifically is there, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the the end of the scene oh, yeah. might be the high point of the episode. There's this camera shot where, you know, they're taking the, the goons away. And then Sid is in the closet, pushed all the way up against the back wall as if he's trying to sink into it with his face, like, to the side. Like, if I can't see them, they can't see me. With the bottle of wine still in his, in his yes. under his arm. And then there's this moment uh, where... Rita, Becker, and Jim are outside and all looking at him as he's trying as hard as he can to pretend like he doesn't exist. And then he slowly looks over and sees Becker. And Becker goes, Sid, what are you doing here? (laughs) And Sid immediately is like, look, you can't tell Eleanor. She won't understand. This is all a misunderstanding. I'll, I'll make sure you get the permit, blah, blah, blah. And Becker's just like, what can I do? There was a shooting here. You're a witness. I need to take your statement. And then we need to publish it in the papers with the account of the crime. And he's clearly like getting back at him for all the stupid crap he's had to put up with these people. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Ah, uh, yes. It's very satisfying. So in our final scene, uh, we start off with Rita telling Peggy, don't, you know, go ahead and put these out. This is my party. I'll do the work if I want to. So kind of, yeah. you know, inverting their, their uh, initial meeting. It's a party at Rocky's. Rocky, Rita, Jim, uh, Dennis, and Peggy are there. So we get the, uh, let's let's wind up what happened so that we all get some narrative closure. Uh, it turns out that Woodruff stole millions out of Maggie's estate. They're not quite sure how much yet, but he rigged all the business statements so it looked like a paper palace. Yes, and we get our title. Uh, and Rita was being targeted because Maggie had changed her will and left Rita a million dollars from this estate. So, and Rita says, well, maybe if she hadn't done that, maybe Woodruff wouldn't gotten scared and started pushing all the badness. But apparently he did. In the end, Jim says that she is going to end up with $300,000 out of that will. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is $1,175,834.36 in today's money. It's... 
nothing to scoff at. Yeah, it's a hell of an inheritance. Yeah. And now we get into everyone telling her what she should do with her money. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I got angry with Rocky in this one. <laughs> <laughs> How Rocky just wants her to, to, to buy a house. Yeah, you can't go wrong buying land. I was like... <laughs> Although, in that day and age, you couldn't. <laughs> Things are different now. Yeah. Uh, Peggy agrees with Rocky, but Jim says that she should spend it however makes her happy. Yes. What she wants to do is she wants to... She's going to furnish that garage apartment once they build it. Rugs, lamps, everything. At this moment, this, how this is staged is great because Peggy's like, oh, we couldn't possibly. And yeah. uh, uh, Rita's like, no, like this is what I want. Let me do it. And then Dennis says, no, you don't understand. I can't accept it. I'm a cop. Yeah. I can't take <laughs> gifts based on just doing my job. Like, I literally cannot accept that. Yeah. And Rita's like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, okay, everyone, come with me. Come outside. They all go out. And there is a hell of a car sitting <laughs> yeah. in the driveway. Um, I assume just based on the body style that it is a Rolls Royce, perhaps. Yeah, I actually just have what is this car written in my notes. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that we have at least one listener who will answer this question for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is not yet in the 200 a day files files. <laughs> if so, if it gets updated, we can check that out. Anyway, it's what I would associate with like the 40s as like a very fancy yeah car. It's a I don't know if it's technically a convertible, but there's no hard top on it. it. Has like the giant fenders and the big white wall tires, and it's very fancy. Rita says that uh, it's a it's a custom job. It's full of oh I don't know all the stuff that's in it. I don't remember. But the key here is that she wants to give it to Jim. It's yours. Oh, oh, hey, Rita, no, I can't. Hey, come on, you're not with the department. Nothing's stopping you. I can't accept a gift like that. I mean, that must have cost... Hey, didn't you tell me I should make myself happy? Yeah. Well, this makes me happy. She pushes the key into his hand. It's like, I want you to have it. We end our episode with him putting the key back in her hand, saying it's absolutely out of the question, and smiling as a freeze frames on yeah. him... Pushing the key away. End of episode. <laughs> End of episode. Uh, yeah, that's a hell of a gift to just drop on someone. I gotta say, um, I am going to assume that she has paid Jim for his time. <laughs> I think this is one of the few times where I think Jim has made his his fee plus expenses mm -hmm. without much hassle. So that was a, a very fun episode. I, yeah. I enjoyed that one a lot. In in addition to kind of the. Uh, you know, social commentary aspects. It's a hell of an episode. <laughs> yeah. I think I said uh, at the beginning, it is a, it's not like, the, it's not like the mystery is particularly interesting in and of itself. Right. But the way that it gives the room for all the character interactions to happen is really deft. It's all about navigating the, the situation brought about by like what society is telling people and, you know, how they're supposed to act around her. I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to say here. Maybe I'm not saying anything. I think I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's kind of... I'm looking at like where the conflict comes in. Yeah. And obviously there's there are these French-Canadian goons mm -hmm. that are going to kill someone, uh, and uh, maybe several people, and they need to figure out who that is. But the main source of the conflict is the fact that nobody is paying attention to what she's saying. Right. Except for Jim. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Dennis, like, except for our, our crew of trustworthy individuals, right? The drama is kind of from, from, from watching Rita uh, uh, 
respond to each of the challenges that is presented before her. Right. Right. And she, you know, she's helpful along the way, right? Like she's, you know, Jim's doing Jim things and Becker does Becker things. Uh, Rocky does Rocky things. But, uh, what is compelling about this episode is, is, is the tension between what we expect this kind of character to be like in fiction and then how right. she actually, how the story actually goes and how she actually acts. The whole thing here is that this is like confounding the expectations of the hooker with a heart of gold stereotype, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because she's not apologetic about who she is and what she does. We don't learn or particularly care about her backstory, you know, what, right. what drove her into this life or whatever. Um, she is not, uh, uh, saved by rejecting the business that she's in. Right. And, and we don't get, go into sal- salacious details of the actual business. If anything, it's played for humor. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of get a picture of like, she's good at what she does, right? Like she's in demand. Yeah. <laughs> and, she gets rewarded at the end for sticking to her guns and being who she is. And that's awesome. Yeah, like she's she is in this will because she's friends and, and such good friends with this woman. And she had no idea that this woman mm-hmm. was wealthy or was going to put her in the will or, you know, it's 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 um, yeah, it's it's a complete for she's in a transactional business. How things turn out for her are because of all of her non-transactional relationships. Yeah. Right? Or this particular non-transactional relationship. Uh, Yeah. It's good. And, you know, and, and, and the role is, like, incredibly compellingly played by this great actress, right? Like, it's that's excellent. Written by Juanita Bartlett. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. It's all good stuff. Um, I forgot to mention, mm-hmm. this is, I don't know if this is deliberate or not, but it felt like the uh, answering machine joke <laughs> was pertinent to the episode. Like, not pertinent to the episode because of the plot, but was thematically pertinent to the episode. Because this, I mean, we play these at the beginning, so you heard, but it was... Uh, This is Mrs. Owens with the Association for a Better Malibu. Thanks for your contributions. We made great strides, but it would help, dear, if you could move your trailer. But if you just move your trailer, (laughs) there's just something about it, like, Jim is, yeah, thank you for helping out, but also you're an undesirable, so move along. Yeah, I think every so often they sync up. Yeah. So thank you for bringing this one up. Um, It was great to revisit. I feel like I've been kind of picking other ones because we've done a couple like series of characters recently. Oh, yeah. I don't necessarily know if we need to now do all the (laughs) Rita episodes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, she does come back. We do learn what happens with this car in this next episode. So. Oh. And and all of her money. So we can leave on a cliffhanger there for the next. That's uh, good. The next Rita Kapovich episode. One of the one of the greats. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything else to uh, anything else to add about the Paper Palace? Uh, go watch it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's not, it's a, a poor recommendation to someone who's already listened to our podcast because I'm sure you've already seen it. But in case you haven't, maybe it's worth rewatching again just to see that uh, the dinner party scene to, to figure out what the hell Sid is doing there <laughs> and uh, to pay closer attention to Dennis and Rita at the, the police station when they're silently in the background. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good physical and facial acting kind of across the board yeah. in this one. Yeah. For sure. Great. Well, I don't know if uh, you have a 
fancy vintage car parked outside your house to go <laughs> jump into. But I know that I'm ready to go take mine for a spin. So <laughs> we have earned our $200 for this day. So stay tuned, friends. We will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. <laughs> Bang 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 b